Yeah. Mm, got it. Yeah. Can you say it one more time? Robert Ingpen. I N G P E N. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's done several children's books that I really love. I like search for his name and you know buy up any edition he's done. Oh, okay. Um, and I wanted to bring a different book, but I couldn't find a copy. Um, but it's uh, Kate D. Camillo. I don't. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. This is the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane. But the tale of Despero, which is another book by her, is actually my favorite. I couldn't find the edition of it that I have. Um, but yeah, I love Kate D. Camilla. She's one of my favorite authors. What is um, that one called? This is The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. Is that as good uh, as it's, uh, it's not. Despero? It's different than Despero. Okay. Um, Despero is very da-da-da-da. You know, it's, it's very chivalry and these big, great, you know, heroic themes. Um, this is about a toy rabbit. It's a little bit reminiscent of the Velveteen Rabbit. Um, okay. This is about a toy rabbit that's very proud of himself and pleased with himself and not very humble. And he's treasured, but he just like doesn't really uh, appreciate the fact that he is treasured. And then he gets lost and goes on a great journey. Um, it is very, uh, it's very heartbreaking. I mean, it's um, yeah. th there is a this is not for younger kids because it involves uh, you know him witnessing abuse or witnessing you know different you know different things. Okay. Um, it's. It's a modern book, but it reads kind of like like maybe an early 20th century book or something, because it, it shows, or maybe like a Dickens type of book. It, it kind of shows some of you know the harrowing harrowing aspects of our society and, and culture. And is it um, set in modern times? It's I think it's set in the I think it's set in the 30s or 40s. Okay. Um, I'm sure it doesn't say, so I'm not quite sure. But it is it is set in the past, um, and. Um, I don't know, just the, the way that, if you haven't read, read Kate to Camilla before, just, it's like poetry. I mean, she just really captures the human spirit, and um, she has a way of kind of looking into the window of childhood while still, like, it's it's very, you know, philosophical and, and, and very heart-touching. And it's, um, and, you know, I just, I just wish I could write like her. So, um, but those would be my, my two for now. What's, what's her name? Kate D. Camillo, and so it's, D I, and the, the, and then the, the next word is Camillo, and it's C A M I L L O. And I'll, I'll pass it around in case you, yeah. And the tail of dust is. Oh yeah, that's so right. Right. yeah. You can't it's read the tail so of great. Yeah. And it's just got the gospel all over it and yeah. in it and through it. So of course Wait, Pope does? loves it. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about this book. <laughs> it's great. Okay, I'm not sure which which two of mine I should do. Um, I'll start with this one, um, and maybe all of y'all have heard this, but A Child's Christmas in Wales. And we actually, it's by Dylan Thomas, who was so it's a poet and a I writer. Didn't, I didn't know that he did a children's book. Oh, but we listened to it. You can find it on YouTube, him telling, him oh, reading wow. it. Oh. And it is our Christmas go-to, isn't it, Lori? And we have to listen yeah. to it every year. We really do. <laughs> uh, every I don't Christmas. care for the illustrations in this particular copy. It's just the one that I have. But we actually never read it. We listen to it. But you can find it on YouTube for free, and it's wonderful. And it is quite transported. I mean, you are there with him in the snow and all of the antics that they do growing up in Wales at Christmas. So. Can we pass it around? Is that okay? Oh, yeah. The part where he's...
Ernie Jenkins, yeah. And Ernie Jenkins, because he likes fires. <laughs> There's lots of wonderful quotes in, in that story. And then I guess my other that I'll pick is, because I just finished it, is Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. And I had never read his fiction, only his poetry. And uh, I loved this book. It was wonderful. Um, I did it with a little ladies' book club at church, and there was just so much in it that made me go, ah, oh, I thought that or felt that, but he put it just the way it should. So, so I really enjoyed it. So that's a thing too. And actually, just following on the heels of Wendell Berry, I just wanted to throw out, because I just discovered it. I don't actually normally like his poetry as much as his prose, um, but I just discovered a poem of his called The Vacation that I would recommend everybody looking up. The Vacation by Wendell Berry. Um, it was uh, very insightful and still didn't rhyme, <laughs> which I like poetry to <laughs> rhyme, but... Yeah, but I'll forgive Wendell Berry for that, I guess. <laughs> All right, I, um, so this book, Mara, Daughter of the Nile, Ooh, was like the one. instant one that as soon as Brittany said, let's do a frigate theme, you know, <laughs> one that transports you far away, I was like, this book. And I, I was sort of, I really am half embarrassed to present it because it's not deep, it's not, Theological, it's not anything except, oh, what's such a good story. <laughs> and I probably won't let my girls read it, maybe till like they're engaged. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it has, a, it has more romance in it than I would like in their lives at this point. But, um, but if you're just in that season where you're getting over the stomach bug or you need a good book for the beach <laughs> or you know you've just worked through Anselm and you're ready for something else <laughs> Mara Daughter of the Nile <laughs> it's really good um, yeah it's set in, in ancient Egypt and it it puts you there for sure and it's great characters gripping story and um, just and a story infused in the setting of Egypt of the colors and the smells and the fabrics and the ships and yeah. That author even in particular, she's written, there, there was, came along oh, one year that we read Mara and then we read another one of her Egypt, she has another Egypt Jarvis. one. Jarvis. Yes, the Golden the Goblet. 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 Yes, Goblet. Which, yes, yeah. we have also oh, enjoyed already. I had my children read both books already, The Golden Goblet and Mara of the Nile already this year because it's so yeah. Yeah. It, it, is. it was yeah. one year where we just read book after book of hers, and I was like, oh, look, this is that same author again. Oh, this is each one, the power of her description yeah. and yeah. the story. Yeah, and actually, you couldn't really think of two settings and stories of Moccasin Trail and Mara so different, and yet she yeah. does so well in both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then my second one I'll probably do is um, Unbroken 
uh, by Laura Hillenbrand, um, which uh, we uh, read actually. Did we read it because of book people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. We read it because of book people, and um, just she just does an excellent job, I think, of putting you into. Um, into the place, and particularly his time on the raft for my husband Lucas <coughs> and myself was very um, moving to us and inspiring to us about simplification and even the, um, the sensory input that we receive so much of in our lives, particularly in this culture, and, and the effect that that has on the thought life and then seeing what it did to his thought life for it all to be stripped away. and um, uh, Yeah, so um, probably everybody's already familiar with this book, but um, if, if you're not, it's definitely got some hard parts in it, particularly with the Japanese uh, prisoner of war camp. But um, uh, we've read parts of it out loud to our children, uh, particularly the raft part and just yeah, it grips me every time. You know, I know exactly what's coming next. <laughs> I just, oh, you know, here comes the shark. But um, anyway, so. Imagination Station. Two. It just—it's about these two cousins, and they keep going to a time changing machine. It's really pixie. <laughs> Is that the one where they're gonna roam? It's it's like a Christian Odyssey. I thought, oh, they ripped off that thing from Adventure and Odyssey, but it is Adventure. It's like a Christian magic tree house. transport me but in a way they're sort of like where we live <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I think the high country is sort of a little bit like Prince Edward Island because we have we don't have Charlottetown but we have food and we don't have green gables but we have deep gap and we have all these everyone lives in their little their little spoke but where our lives overlap so big and the materializing of Cecil takes place it gets, I won't give anything away, but it starts in a lady's sewing circle, and they, uh, there's 
a woman that's sort of in between. She doesn't, she, the young girls are talking about romance and their adventures and love, and then the older women are talking about the care of babies, and so she's sort of in between and, and isn't, isn't of much interest. And then one of the young ladies kind of playfully just says, oh, have you ever been crossed in love? And, and she's about to just say, nope, nothing interested, but <laughs> something, someone gives her a provoking look, and so she just, she says, actually, I've done that. <laughs> starts making up this story and she picks out things that she sees and uses the names. Anyway, it's really funny what happens. And then what I would suggest for Chronicles of Avonlea is the quarantine at Alexander Abraham's. It's quite delightful. It's the story of a, a woman hating man and a man hating woman. <laughs> Cat-loving, dog-hating woman, and a cat-hating, dog-loving man. <laughs> so sort of He's like, hating on the cats. <laughs> some of Ellen Montgomery's, well, honestly, it's a little bit weird, but, some of, but a lot of it is lighthearted, good fun. So those books really take me away. series because um, um, it, it's called the Green Ember series. It's about um, rabbits that, that can talk and, and it's, um, uh, it's, it's, if you've ever read, I like it even better than Redwall, if you've ever read that. And it, it's just, uh, um, once you, once you start reading it, it's like so hard to come away because you just want to read more and, and it's, it's just really fun. And the illustrations are really good at, too. It's by S.D. Smith. It's a good last name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always, we always say, oh yeah, we read this book. <laughs> and so,
Henry S. It's not a series yeah, because of the last chapter. Well, it's, it's called. Well, the main kind of it too, so it's no. not. So I don't think it's a series. Because I think the whole life is in here. His whole life. His whole life. It might be part of something called Immortals of Science, but I don't know. No. Oh. Henry S. Yeah. Gillette. Like yeah. the razor. Uh, no, it's just really easy. books because some of the oh, several of the books that I thought of I borrowed to read. Um, but one of them is the Child of Destiny series that I borrowed from Hawkins. And I don't know who it's by, but it's about um, a girl in um, India. Carrie. Oh, it's Connie Griffith. Connie, Connie Griffith. 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 And we just found out that she wrote another series. Yeah, my grandmother just gave me Another series by her. I haven't read it yet. But. Can you give us a little? I know, I've never heard of it. Or just a little idea. Um, I haven't read it in several years, but um, it's about a, a girl in India, okay. and just kind of her life story and her her journey of faith. And tells a lot about the culture and what she grew up in. Her family was killed, and so she lived with her grandmother. And her family was killed in like a flood or something. I don't really remember that well. But I do remember being, feeling like I was in India and <laughs> learning a lot about India. So, uh, the Child of Destiny series and If You Love Me by Patricia St. John, um, Hannah, Hannah Berry's. Um, recommended that book yeah. last meeting, and I borrowed it from her and read it, and really enjoyed it. And when I read it, I was reading it and finishing it. There's there's a lot of talk about um, what's going what was going on in Turkey and the surrounding countries, and I felt like I understood it a little bit more because of reading that book. And it's about the kind of guerrilla warfare that was going on there in I don't really know. <laughs> I don't remember that. But it's about a girl and her struggles through that. So those are the two I would say. to a difficult man. I hate the title, so I'm not married to a difficult man. <laughs> but I love this book. Um, and it's biography of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. And it takes me to that time period, which before I'd read this, I'd kind of idealized it. Oh, it's the Puritans, and they were so godly, and they're so, such a wonderful time period. And reading this book, 
um, made it, um, it, it really made me admire and be thankful for Jonathan Edwards and his wife and how even in their time they stood apart as being um, distinctively godly in a um, culture that was struggling, you know, um, like Mr. White says in, in, in a tapestry class that we do with them, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those that um, obey and love God and those that don't. I don't mean it can be about hope with you, not acknowledging him, but that has always been true. In every time period, there wasn't like this, um, oh, the Puritans were all uh, God-fearers. They were not all, um, and even in that time, there was certainly, uh, religion was much more held up, but um, faith in the one true God and how that was lived out is, I, I just was taken here. So when when you suggested this, I immediately thought of this. I was taken to that time period. I, um, I uh, experienced that culture in a way that I, I got to know it in a real sense, not just in my idealized picture of what Protestant Puritan New England must have been like. So, and that um, in the universities at that time, he was president of Princeton, and Princeton was started as a reaction to the godlessness of Harvard and Yale, and we don't think of Harvard and Yale way back then being godless, you know, kind of wild institute or college or the, all, and all the, um, the negative things that come along with the college experience. But Princeton was started in kind of in response to that. Anyway, so that um, took me there. And I think of it often. And I've been aspiring to be of her life as um, a Quaker family in England at the time, which was a very, there was um, two kinds of Quakers. There were gay Quakers and plain Quakers, and gay Quakers participated in all the fashions and the, they, they were just more in, uh, they were very devout, but they were more um, like to party and like to, follow the fashions and she just a, a beautiful description of this happy family life growing up one of seven sisters and then her choices she it was a devout Christian family but then she chose um, to be a plain Quaker in her adult life she took her faith um, to kind of the next level she just um, and so was anybody, was anybody familiar with Elizabeth Fry mm -hmm. she was a um, so is that what it's called Elizabeth Fry, Quaker heroine. Okay. Biography. I don't know where I got this book from or why I read it when I did. I read it way back in Atlanta. I remember when you read 
were struck by the fact that sure. she went to go visit the queen and she knew what to wear. She all, she just wore her outfit. Oh yeah, so I just love her because she didn't think about what she wore. She, and I don't like to think about clothes. And she decided to be a plain Quaker so she didn't have to follow the fashions and she didn't have to get, do it. She just knew what she was going to wear every day and she just put it on and that was fine. I really want to read this. This, this was so inspiring to me when you read this 20 years ago. Because yeah. I remember I had grown up in a cluttered home and then at least it felt to me. And then I had heard about the simplicity movement. <laughs> I was so excited. And then you read that. She was a plain Quaker, but she went into, I think, Newgate Prison in London. It was The prison system was horrible in that time. And mm. prisoners were treated like animals. She's going into the kind of prisons that Charles Dickens was writing to do something about, you know, and she went in there mm -hmm. and um, did prison reform. As a, as a Quaker woman of some means, she was able to go into these prisons into mm -hmm. basically untouchables, people who were, uh, you know, had become almost animal-like women. There was a women's prison and a men's prison. She went to the women's prison, mm -hmm. she brought education, she tried to teach them, bless them, feed them, teach them how to live outside of the prison. She she did a lot of prison reform, so she was very much an, an active, she was a mother, I think, of six, and she loved her children, raised them to know the Lord. Her husband, I think, was a businessman, but she did a lot of good in her time period. And so I was inspired by her life. I was taken, taken to early 19th century England, um, disgusted by the prison and blessed by her example. There, was there any sense in reading that? Because that idea of prison reform, I think, oh, that's so beautiful. And I, and I tended to think, oh, they could do that in the Dick and Dickens day. And, and yet now, because now it's, it seems like, oh, man, I would love to, to help do something like that. But it seems so um, daunting, you know, all the red tape of prisons mm -hmm. and was there any sense of just, uh, were those times similar to, to the way we're thinking of it today, or was it? I think she did have to do things. It really has been 20 years since I've read it, and I remember things from the book. And I remember just kind of dwelling in early 19th century England, but um, it does seem like more possible, you know, there wasn't electrified barbed wire, she could just, I mean, nobody wanted to go to there. Maybe it's the same today, nobody, but nobody wanted to go there, nobody thought to go there, but she went, um, she seemed kind of alone in her. I, I don't know if it would be as difficult in this age with all the having to make everything official, you know, like getting permission to go in. Almost kind of the 
ideal picture of small town life. <laughs> um, there are some rough things in, it, in the second half of the book, so I might recommend I really enjoyed it. And I thought she was a good author in the way she wrote and liked her style. The story was intriguing. And then the next one was Moccasin Trail, which was mentioned earlier. Very well written. Yeah. And John and I read it together. And it was such a fun book. Yeah, I've got one, and then I've been sitting here and thinking and realizing I probably should have bought different ones. But <clears throat> this is called Hatchet by Gary Paulson. It's about a boy who's going to see his father, and he's the plane wrecks that he's on, and it's his survival and the wilderness where it's wrecked, and he's struggling through. Um, mother had to edit it some because he was in a divorce situation because his father and mother had divorced, but. Um, the part in the wilderness is, it really describes well just living out there and never, you never knowing what would happen and then something really bad happens and you struggling through the wilderness. And then another one is um, A Long Walk to Water. I just recently read that. It's about um, and it's written by Linda Parker, or something, I think it's pretty, I'm pretty sure it's Linda Parker, and it's about a boy who's 19, in 1980, yeah, 1980s, there's a war in, so he's in a, there's a war in Sudan, around that, Sudan. And he's running, and he thinks he's an orphan now because he's in, been in school, and then they attacked the enemy. Actually, don't know. It's two tribes attacking each other. And he's running, and it's just his, where he's traveling, and they really describe it well. And then it's also a girl in 2008, about. That's when that ended. But it kind of tells his story from the very beginning and then her story. And it's two different people and you following them and then you meet. And, and the boy's name is Sylvia and he um, brings water. He helps. Or the girl's name? Yeah. Yeah. I remember we were struggling over, like, is this the right name? And um, he brings water to a this girl's tribe, and she has to walk eight hours a day to get water for her family every day. And some miles, it's hard in some parts, but you really feel like you're there and struggling along next to him. It makes me feel guilty for fussing in the hot water events. <laughs> 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 he stopped by some camps that would help him and they weren't that great. And I'm more like, 
prisons almost because once you're there, you stay there, and when you leave, you can't come back. Mm -hmm. And their playground that's closed to you around, and what you have is what you have. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I just brought one book. It's Martin the Warrior. I just, Ooh, I, love that one. <laughs> I, just I just picked it off from all the other ones. Um, uh, we just, whenever you pick it up and read it, you can't really stop reading it until you're done. That's true. <laughs> mother had mother had to bar us from reading them to, <laughs> because we were just reading, kept reading them and nothing else. <laughs> So they just make you feel like you're there. Uh, one time, the when I, the first time I read Martin the Warrior is because the Cockmans brought it to us when they were over to our house for supper. So of course, oh, yeah. we all visited late, and then finally. It was late at night, and I finally cracked open the book for the first time, and I, I think I read the latest I had ever read. I must have read to like 3 a.m. or beyond or something. <laughs> and I, I wasn't able to finish that the book that night, but I got up in the morning and finished it. It was, it was really hard to put down. Sounds Bintashtrin is my favorite of all of them. That's another All right, all right I'll read 10 more minutes, and I'll turn it off. Wait, I'll just finish this chapter. Wait, I'll just finish this chapter. <laughs> or when it gets back to this person, I'll finish it. Um, of course, the Bible transports you, but my two authors that I wanted to just say I've really enjoyed are um, George MacDonald. Probably mm -hmm. my favorite is Malcolm. I just love Malcolm because um, it just transports you. And the other um, of my authors that I really like is E.D.E.N. Southworth. Um, the Hidden Hand and Ishmael and Self-Raised, anything by E.D.E.N. Southworth, I really like. I'm only a blighter because it transports you. Did you say Ishmael? Ishmael, yeah. This one is Ishmael and Self-Raised, the sequel. There are two different books. But they're together. They're like a dual. Say the author again. E D Mrs. E D E N Southworth, mm -hmm. and she wrote in um, the eighteen hundreds. So Edens. But it's actually E D E N oh, E period okay. D period E oh, period okay. N period. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Ishmael and Southworth? Yeah. I've heard several people. It's from the Lamplighter series, and this is that I would really, really highly recommend, even more than The Hidden Hand, those two books. Um, so she, the author considers this to be her favorite um, storyline, is Ishmael and Self-Raised, to be her very best work. Um, it was founded on the life of one of the noblest of our countrymen who really lived, suffered, toiled, and triumphed in this land, and his... It, he's just such a character in the way that she portrays him. You can just, you're there. You're with him. You're experiencing whatever he experiences. Its inspirations of wisdom and goodness were drawn from the examples of heroic warriors and statesmen of the revolution. Ishmael, born in the depths of poverty, misery, and humiliation, and raised to the summit of fame, 
was good as well as great. His life is proof that there is no depth of human misery from which we may not, by virtue, energy, and perseverance, rise to earthly honors and by God's grace attain eternal glory. So it's really worth reading. He's, he's good from the beginning to the end of the so series. So it's called Ishmael? Ishmael. And then That's the second, oh, okay. second book is called Self-Raised. Oh, okay. But there, okay. it's a sequel okay. to Ishmael. Um, basically so when mom first explained to me like the topic of this week I immediately thought of books that when you read them and somebody goes Lori you're like wait a second where am I (laughs) and unfortunately I didn't know it was appropriate to only mention books and not bring a physical copy because most of the books that I immediately think of that just I had to like wake up from, I don't actually own. But I did bring a couple, and there are three that I wanted to mention, but I don't think I'll mention, I don't think this one's in print anymore, so I don't know if it's even worth. So I'll stick with these two. What? I don't know, because like if you Google it, I'm pretty sure I've never been able to find find it. I don't know no, where it came from. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can't see what it's called. <laughs> this, one, this one is just called Cecilia and the Blue Mountain Boy by Shoal and Tomes. Um, and you can read it like I've read it out loud to mom in an hour. It's very, very short, but I love it. Um, but then the two, and I wanted to mix things up, both of these. I love books that are based in World War II. Um, and I love books that are written almost like poetry I suppose that are beautifully written and I found that books that are written in or about a great tragedy tend to be more beautiful Um, and same with poetry and so it's fitting they're both about World War II but I kind of wanted to mix things up but oh well this first one is called The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak and this is definitely top three books for me in my my personal opinion as far as my favorite books go and this remains the most beautiful book most beautifully written book that I've ever read um, and it is again about World War II it's about a girl it's written from the perspective of death so it can be dark at times um, but it's about a little girl named Lisa Lisa Liesel Liesel yeah I forgot her name for a moment. But the quote that I wanted to read, I wanted to find a better quote, but I started crying, and I thought this is not the time mm. to break down into tears. So I wanted to read the the first description that death makes of the place that Liesel goes to stay, which is called Heimel, Heimel Street or Himmel Street. I'm not quite sure. It means heaven in German. So Greta, if you know, is it Himmel? Um, and she goes to live with a foster family. And so this... Within the book, there are little little captions all through of just notes that death has made on the story. And this one says, a photo of, a photo of Himmel Street. And the photo is, the buildings appear to be glued together, mostly small houses and apartments, blocks that look nervous. There is a murky snow spread out like carpet. There's concrete, empty hat stand trees, and gray air. 
And that is, the whole book is written with that poetic way of describing things. Mm -hmm. So then this one, I'm reading this one currently, and it's highly recommended by my mother, so if you want to know how it ends, you'll have to ask her, because I don't know yet. Um, but this is called All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, D-O-E-R-R, -R. Um, also about World War II. And I thought this one was quite fitting as far as travel, because I opened it up and my bookmark is my plane ticket from <laughs> Delhi to London. Because um, I bought it on my way home from India. So I thought that was extra fitting. But this one, the reason that this particular quote and this particular book to me is so striking for being so beautifully, for drawing you in to the world, is <clears throat> one of the two narrative characters, I suppose. Marie Lar is blind. And so this is a quote from her perspective describing the place that she lives. It says, color. That's another thing that people don't expect. In her imagination, in her dreams, everything has color. The museum buildings are beige, chestnut, hazel. Its scientists are lilac and lemon yellow and fox brown. Piano chords lull in the speaker of the wireless in the guard station, projecting rich blacks and complicated blues down the hall toward the key pound. Church bells send arcs of bronze careening off windows. Bees are silver. Pigeons are ginger and auburn and occasionally golden. The huge cypress trees she and her father pass on their morning walks are shimmering kaleidoscopes, each needle a polygon of light. So those, in my opinion, are two of the most beautifully written and descriptive books that I've read in a while that I own. <laughs> so that is, those are my two. What's the author of that one again? Anthony Doerr, D-O-E-R-R. It's beautiful. It is. You're quite lovely. When I was thinking about what books can support you to a different place, I was feeling like I couldn't really figure out the difference between one, books that I love that I just, that I think, am I just seeing it in pictures or is it um, one that really transports me? <laughs> but then I thought it's probably the ones that keep me on the couch longer than I intend to be there. <laughs> the ones that really capture me. Um, and the ones that came to mind are not necessarily my favorite books, but they're, they were, um, yeah, the ones that really drew me in. So one was actually Moccasin Trail um, that <laughs> Hope mentioned, <laughs> and Mrs. Smith mentioned. And then the other one is part of a series this one is Prisoner of the Pyrenees, um, but there's maybe five or six books so far, six books so far, I think, and she might still be writing. But they're sort of like Jonathan Park, if you know what that is, in that it's a Christian family going on adventures, um, and... Kind of unrealistic. Yeah, unrealistic. <laughs> Still definitely but, engaging, though. Yeah, very engaging, and sometimes to die. And then you know, oh wait a minute, of course they can't die. Or, well, there won't be another book. <laughs> She's still so. bringing money out of this deal. <laughs> but they captured me and it's one that once you start it, you can't really put it down. Who's so. the author? C.R. Hedgecock. Okay. 
a vision for them used to um, print those, and when they existed no more, um, you knew there was another book coming, and there was not, and that now we didn't know where they would be found. So my girls wrote to C.R. Hedgecock. And said, uh, Are there any more books? Where can we get your books? And she actually wrote back. Family Adventures? I'm sorry, the, the Baker, Baker Family, family Adventures. Adventures. I'm sorry, I thought you were likening it to... Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Baker yeah. This is the Baker Family Adventures. My first book is a book that I read just last year, and I really enjoyed it. It's called A Higher Call. And I should make this warning. I, I realized as we were listening to it in the car on the way here that there are parts of it that are not appropriate for younger audiences. Mm. And, um, and and I just kind of like, I, I mentally completely read past those as I was reading it. And then when we were listening to it in the car, it was like, yikes, okay, <laughs> skip. But it's, it's an incredible true story. And the guy who writes it is an amazing historian who has done his homework so well. And it's about this guy on the um, York, right? Um, who's a German fighter pilot during World War II. And then this gentleman down here is a, an American bomber pilot. And they have um, an incredible encounter in this guy. And so, so this historian, he kind of tells both of their stories. And you kind of, one of the biggest takeaways for me was that, wow, not all Germans were Nazis. In fact, a lot of the Germans hated the Nazis just as much as we did. <laughs> And so, and so that was really interesting. But I, I think this book really transports you, and it awakened in me a new love for not just fiction but real life stories. Um, and so, uh, real life amazing stories, which I think are even more amazing than fictional <laughs> stories. Okay. So it's really good. And then my second book is I think this was mentioned last time, The Little White Horse. It's kind of a, a little fairy tale, I suppose, um, about a little girl and she goes to live at this manor with her uncle, but the, I, I, I don't like the cover because the cover makes it look kind of dark and mystical, but it's mm -hmm. actually a very bright, cheery story, and, and what's amazing is the way that the way that everything is written and described, and it really mm -hmm. does yeah. transport you. I wanted to see if I could read a couple little quotes from one of my favorite parts in the whole book is when she goes to church for the first time with her uncle. And it just, it talks about all the little sounds, like you can hear the men, uh, when everybody sits down, you can hear the men creak the seams of their Sunday breeches that are just a tiny bit too small, creaking, and all the ladies' <laughs> Sunday bonnets, and um, and just how perfect everything is. And then she hears this um, 
I'll, I'll read one little quote here. She hears this tremendous voice saying, all people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. The tremendous voice pealing out of her head nearly made her jump out of her skin. It sounded like a great trumpet announcing the end of the world and she scrambled up from her knees in alarm, almost expecting to see the roof of the church splitting open like a pea pod and the blue sky above rolling up like a scroll to let the angels down. But it wasn't anything of that sort. It was only the parson announcing the first hymn. <laughs> and so he announces the hymn and then, and then he pulls a fiddle out from underneath the pulpit and he leads them all um, and playing and sing, singing and it just, it just captures you and then it says, it seemed to Maria her imagination running riot to a shocking extent that beyond the words, walls of the church she could hear all the birds in the valley singing and the flowers singing and the sheep and the deer and the rabbits singing in the park and woods and fields and up on the slopes of the great hills. And somewhere the waves of the sea that she had not yet seen were rolling into Meriwether Bay, crying amen as they broke upon the shore. Oh wow, it just, it just, it just gave me shivers to read about how she describes it all and, and, and just her ecstasy at it all is, is so captivating. So, <laughs> a little white horse, I love it. Elizabeth, Gouge or gouge? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I think it's gouge. And the nanny slash governess character in that trope. book is just oh. great. I love her. She's so yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I only brought one book because uh, the other one I did on audio. But um, we actually have to thank the Kennedys, mostly Hannah, for introducing us to Wendell Berry with this book, um, A Place on Earth. We did this in Book People. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I liked this book um, the first time. And actually, it has a scene in here that as I was reading through, I, I actually had to stop and ask myself, did what I just read, did that really happen? And I had to go back. Um, because it's just so dramatic, this this one scene, and I I don't want to read it to you because I want you to read it um, and be as actually heartsick as I was when you read it for the first time. Um, but he is one of the most amazing. He may be the most amazing modern writer that that we have come across. And um, so I, I recommend this one. I recommended Hannah Coulter before, which I think um, he transports you. He transforms the reader into an 80-year-old woman. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And, um, and then the other one is a compilation of his short stories called That Distant Land. And... Um, the short stories are put in chronological order, and he um, he takes you back to a time not so long ago um, that is actually dying, um, and he makes you pine for it. You want to live in Port William, and you want to be a part of the membership, and um, he makes you laugh, and he makes you cry, and he. He makes you love the people that he has written about. 
Um, so I, I cannot recommend him highly enough. I did read Jaber Crow. Yeah. Did I tell you my story, my Jaber Crow story? So I read Jaber Crow and I didn't really like it. Of course, I had just read Hannah Coulter. So I read Jaber Crow and I didn't really like it. And then a couple years later, um, oh, what's it called? Um, uh, not in Primus. Oh shoot, who is it? The Searcy people. Uh -huh. Searcy and, um, Institute Forma. Yeah. Okay. Are you are y'all familiar? Not super. Okay. Well, they um, did um, send out an email for recommended summer reading, and they said, "Don't miss Jaber Crow." <laughs> and I thought, oh boy. I must have missed something really big <laughs> in Jaber Crow, so it's on my reread list. Uh, and I can't imagine that it's just not wonderful uh, if it's from him. But um, That Distant Land would be a terrific family read aloud because they're shorter stories and um, it's just completely moving. So, so. how are we doing time wise? Are we still? It's 8.25. Oh, so we have yeah. 35 minutes if we want to go around, if you brought another one. Uh, this is one of my all-time favorite books, Watership Down by Richard Adams. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Right well, of course, it's about rabbits. Why wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> More talking rabbits. <laughs> More talking rabbits. Was, What's with talking animals in the smoke <laughs> I was going to bring it, but I didn't bring it because I hadn't quite finished it, so I didn't put anything. Uh, well, one of the things I love about this book, well, uh, it's kind of sweet the, the origin of the book. The, the author used to tell his kids stories as they, stories as mm. they drove across the countryside. Because um, I think this was written before the radio, I think it's probably even in the car, it was written quite, quite a while ago. And um, he, in, he ended up, uh, his kids loved the story so much they, he, didn't, he ended up writing them down and, um, and the book was born. Um, uh, one of the things I really love about this book is that it's a, it's a book about rabbits and about rabbit culture. It's all, you know, everything like that, this kind of made up you know, culture with rabbits. Um, a lot of books, um, when they write stories about animals, they do it when in the willow style. They do it with them wearing cravats and jackets and trousers, and they, they're very human-like. Um, but he manages to create the sense of, you know, like they really they do seem to have like a rabbit nature. They're very timid, they're very, you know, they have, you know, these little, you know, thing. it's very detailed about, you know, the way they feed and the way they sleep, and. All, all this kind of stuff, um, kind of, you know, weaving the biological aspects of rabbits in with this kind of fantasy of what this, you know, rabbits would be like if they could talk, if they could talk and things like that. Um, uh, a lot of the book is based on his, I think, World War I experiences, maybe? I'm, I'm trying to remember which war he was in. I think it was war, maybe it was, I don't know. But it, um, so it is kind of, you know, it's about rabbits who go to war with one another. Um, so these are not so sweet rabbits. These are rabbits who are tearing each other's throats out at some point. So. Um, you know, it's, it is in some ways an adult book in that it, it portrays, you know, uh, kind of violence and that sort of thing. Um, but I feel like it's handled in a mature way. I feel like I, I like the way that he handles the violence and handles, because, I mean, nature is violent and, you know, that kind of thing happens. And uh, it's not just all, oh, big, you know, fluffy, fluffy rabbits, you know, yay. Um, so, um, and there's also some great philosophical you know, points, you know, being communicated about, you know, necessary violence or necessary war um, that are, are just kind of interesting to think about that, you know. Um, and the other book I had, I haven't finished reading it yet, but it was recommended by Jennifer Kaufman. It's a series called 